Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's going on, everybody? Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Shirk, and I just got done shoveling snow for basically the first time all year. Had to shovel my driveway off because I've been, I guess the word is too cheap. Um, I guess I would consider myself being cheap. I, I just refuse to buy a snowblower or an attachment for my ATV because, number one, I don't want to spend the money. And, number two, I feel like I've been we've been getting less and less snow all the time. I just can't justify the purchase for something that I do once a year. Maybe at some point I'll uh, break down and, and look and try to get something to make it easier. But, I mean, in a little over an hour I can shovel my driveway. But, anyway, uh, it was nice for the snow to wait till the absolute end of the year. I don't think I hunted in snow one time this year. I know there was people that did in certain parts of the state, but I was not one of the fortunate ones that hunted in a location with snow at the times where I could hunt. Actually, I take that back. I hunted uh, bear season, there was snow. I did a little bit of hunting in the snow in bear season, but my deer hunting was, I think, non-existent for snow. But all that said, this weekend is the final weekend of the extended season, and Lord willing, I am planning on giving it one last hurrah, and also, Lord willing, I'm going to get to hunt in the snow, which I really like to do. So it'll be fun time. Uh, I'm going to take my, my one buddy with me to the spot that I, I have that's open in the extended unit, and uh, we always kind of hunt together throughout the years, and for whatever reason, he's just been on a very long dry streak and just can't catch a break so i'm hoping this weekend he can finally connect and shoot a deer uh but that's uh that's what's on the radar for me and i know a lot of you guys are getting into off-season topics and probably thinking about next year already i am to a degree and i have a longer episode coming to you this week so i'm not going to waste any more time uh, this week we spoke with Dan Matthews from the Nomadic Outdoorsman. Uh, you might know him from Dan and Sam. Uh, they're pretty prominent on social media, and Dan has Dan hosts the Nomadic Outdoorsman and the Western Rookie podcasts on Sportsman's Empire. But Dan's a really cool guy, really really nice guy. I finally got to meet him in person at the ATA show. Uh, I've spoke with him a number of times before in the past, and. 
we uh, we do it. We we just catch up. It's it's honestly it's an all around BS session. Uh, but th- some of the things we talk about, we we recap Dan's fantastic hunting season. Uh, he had uh, a season that you know anybody would dream of as far as the amount of times going hunting and the amount of tags he filled and had a lot of other great experiences with other people throughout the entire season. We kind of recap that. We get into Western hunting, which is something that is always on my mind and I'm hoping to do more of in the future. And who better to talk to than the Western rookie himself? And we cover uh, cover a number of things. We, we talk about his elk camp that he goes to. We talk about the mental strength and some preparation that goes into Western hunting. And uh, that kind of leads us down the rabbit hole of a couple other topics and, and just an all-around hunting philosophy, thought process. And it's just a, a fun BS session wrapped around uh, the, the thing that we all love so very much. And that's just getting out and enjoying creation with a gun or bow in hand. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And I, uh, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope your day jobs are going well. Family life is going well. Uh, keep rolling. Keep grinding. I know this could be a slow time of the year. And I know you, know, you might have stuff going on in your life that just makes you go crazy. Uh, been there, done that, man. So keep grinding. Keep working hard. And uh, enjoy this episode, and hopefully you guys can find your way out to do some hunting, do some shed hunting, do some whatever. Just get out and enjoy the outdoors. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. So hey, enjoy this episode with Dan Matthews, and take care, guys. All right, Dan Matthews, we're live. Welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it too. It was good to finally connect and meet with you at, uh, at ATA show. It was a good time seeing everybody there. And, uh, we were kind of going back and forth the plans and stuff and said, Dad, we should, uh, we should, we should do a podcast again. And you're like, yeah, where are you on the road to right now? I am heading down to Georgia right now. Uh, I left this morning and I'll get there about eight 30 tonight. Uh, I'm going to go down and do a hog hunt on an Island. So that's going to be a first for sure. Sweet deal. So you're, uh, I, I won't, uh, I won't steal your thunder in your introduction, but you, you host some shows on the network here and, and you're kind of known for just bouncing around all over the place. So I'll let you introduce yourself to those who don't know you, which I'm sure most of the people that download my episodes, listen to your episodes as well to some degree, but, uh, pl- please do tell us all about yourself. Yeah. So I am Dan Matthews. I host the Western rookie and the Nomadic Outdoorsman, both hunting podcasts on Sportsman's Empire. And on top of that, I've got some fun social channels where I, my wife and I do a lot of relatable content to um, for hunting couples, basically. Uh, a lot of stuff where, you know, she's, she's upset that I'm going hunting or she let me go hunting. And uh, it's just kind of funny stuff that um, I've always been the class clown type of guy. And so it, it comes natural to me to just try to make people laugh uh, and hopefully most, most hunters or wives of hunters can relate to, to that. And then on top of all that, my wife and I have a podcast just about us and our life, family travel. Uh, we've been traveling the country in a motor home for about six months. I think we're sitting right around 30 States that we've hit and, uh, yeah, we just travel wherever we decide to. Sometimes it's, 
revolving around hunting, you know, going out to Colorado or Utah, going up to Wisconsin for rifle season. So it, it kind of works. I've got all my stuff right there. My home's right there. And my wife and I, or my wife and kids can come with me to all these different places. Um, and then I leave them alone in sketchy campgrounds while I go pursue animals. Absolutely. I think that's what any good father and husband would do. Uh, <laughs> on to the, uh, speaking of the social media things, I don't like harping on social media too much, but I mean, I, I have to say I am definitely entertained if I, if I scroll over your stuff. I think the one video you did the other day was something along the lines, like she hid something from you that you couldn't go hunting. I was, that was, I was, oh my God. It was I think it was an archery release. Was it your release? You hid your yeah. release? Yeah, it was my release. And yeah, it's, yeah, she did that video. It was like, yeah, when you don't want your husband to go hunting, so you hide his release. And the release is like, I swear I'm going to put it in a lockbox and like cable lock it to my bow case because that thing disappears or she'll have me do a video with it. She's like, oh, yeah, just do a video, get some of your hunting gear. I just need like a prop release for all of the videos. And then when she goes to hide one, it can be like the prop release so that I can still go hunting and not have to track it down in the middle of the camper somewhere. Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but the first thing I did when I figured out which release I wanted to hunt with, I bought a second one because I always wanted a spare. So I keep a spare in my backpack. <laughs> um, I need to do that. Honestly, I just, I wish I could have a spare of everything, spare boots, spare bow, a whole nother set of arrows. Like the, the level of abuse that my equipment takes I wouldn't wish on anything, but I use it. And I tell everybody, I'm like, man, when I, when I buy something, I'm going to actually use it. It's not, I don't care about like pristine rifles. I don't own, I've got a couple of really nice Brownings, but you better believe they're going to end up getting scratched and gouged as I chase after game animals. Um, even my truck, uh, the first, the first month that I had it, my wife brought the kids up to this unit I was hunting in Utah. And she gets up there. I walk over from where my spike camp was and the whole side of my brand new truck just had scratches all the way down it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like that was a tough one to swallow. But also most people know the first scratch or the first dent after that, nothing matters. It's always like the, the nerves and you're like, I don't, I want it to stay perfect. And then as soon as it's dented, then it doesn't matter. It's probably going to get a thousand more on it. Well, especially if you're doing hunting lifestyle. I remember when we bought the, the truck that we have, um, it was like as nice as it was going to get at that point. It was a used truck, but it was in pretty good condition. And my wife was like, oh, we got to take care of this. And like, I bought a truck to use for a truck. You saw my old one. You saw the places I took it. She's like, well, there's a difference between using a truck and just being stupid with it. I'm like, do, <laughs> do explain where that line is in your mind, sweetheart. <laughs> men, men don't understand that line at all. My wife, it's funny, she's the one who got the first scratches on it. And then uh, just the other day, I, I was taking a roof rack and a tent topper off of it because I got a new deck system for the bed. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I wanted more room to work on it. So I took all that stuff off and she came out and she's looking at it. And the front, uh, so the cab side of the bed that butts up to the cab right underneath the window is just like completely dented and mangled from me. I pull my four-wheeler in and then I ratchet strap it down while the brush guard on the front of it has just completely basically caved in the front of the bed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just real thin metal. The whole truck is pretty light. And she's like, oh my gosh, what happened to that? 
And I'm like, oh, it's just from the four-wheeler being ratcheted down. And she's like, oh, that is such a big dent. And I'm thinking, this is in the bed. This is the bed of the truck. Like every bed of a, if a, if the bed of a truck isn't completely like worn out, scratched, rusted, dented, you probably have no business owning a truck. <laughs> Absolutely. I could, you could have said that better myself. <laughs> like I, I have a couple people that I'm, I'm friends with or family that, that will do some hunting together at certain times throughout the year. And they get these brand new trucks and like, we'll, we'll go places and they're like, Oh, I, I don't want to take it up such and such road or, Oh, I, that's not a place for me to take my truck. I'm like, well, what the heck do you have it for? Like, come on guys. Yeah. And Bro, I get it. I mean, you spend a lot of money. I mean, trucks are cheap now, but still. Yeah. No, those people need a Subaru. <laughs> oh man so hey i i have to ask you from from the surface a little bit i got to talk to you at ata and of course seeing stuff that you post looked like you had a little bit of an above average season compared to most i mean was what, what was is that something you'd agree on or was it was that about normal what you'd expect throughout a given year hunting season no this so i've had i've had one absolutely outstanding season in my life leading up to this year and honestly, I was like, I'll never be able to top that. Um, I was able to, a couple of years ago, I set a goal. I knew that my wife and I were going to do an anniversary trip to Alaska. Never thought that was in the cards for us, but a few things lined out. We had a place to stay. Uh, we got like buy one, get one free flight vouchers. And so we went up to Alaska and I said, I want to kill a mule deer, a black tailed deer and a white tailed deer all in one year. So that was my goal. I ended up killing two whitetail bucks, a mule deer buck and a, and a bull elk on the same day and a blacktail deer. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I'll never top this. And I mean, it was a lot of hunting. I, I put a lot of time, a lot of hours into that hunt. In fact, my elk and my mule deer both happened on the final day of my hunt. And so like I hunted hard for the first eight days. It all came together at the end. This year was... I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did right to please the gods of hunting, but they just really loved me this year. I Let's see. We were on the road. I knew I wasn't going to be doing a ton of hunting back in Missouri, but I did still – I had my trail cameras out. I would check them anytime I was in town. Had a great group of bucks that I wanted to pursue. Got them on spotting uh, – through the spotting scope multiple times while out uh, glassing. And so we were on the road. I had done one hunt in Utah. I didn't have a tag for it, but I was just helping my friend Linnea chase after mule deer. But I knew that I'd be back for early archery season for like three days in Missouri. So at the end of last season, I took down all of my tree stands because I wanted to force myself to get a saddle set up. And I hopped on go wild bought a saddle system and sticks and a platform and they delivered to UPS the day that I got back. The next day I went out in the evening, I assembled the sticks and the platform in the driveway before walking out to a tree. Never had sat in a saddle system ever in my life. And I had to figure it out this first day. So I'm like 45 minutes into climbing this tree and getting set up, pouring sweat, and I'm like, it's okay. The deer are used to me here. I know there's a lot of people who are crazy about scent control. Me, I take a different approach. I will go, I go out to my hunting property as often as I can. And it's to the point now where I will have deer 
like feeding out in the field as I'm changing out trail camera cards. And like, I've had them jump the fence 40 yards from me and just kind of stand there and look at me. And eventually they'll take off if I make any quick movements, but they're just, they're used to the scent. Anyways, I try to condition them. So I didn't worry too much about my scent. I knew I was going to be noisy climbing the tree for the first ever time with the saddle. And I get up there, I get comfortable. I'm like, wow, I really like this. This is cool. I set it up facing the direction that I figured I would see deer. I hunt on uh, about a 12 acre chunk of timber and it's surrounded on the south and the east side by beans. And the beans were big and green at this point. I'm sitting there an hour and a half into the set. I turn around and here's this buck. Never seen this buck before, but definitely a shooter. I'm like, this buck's already at like 20 yards in the woods. Then I see more antlers behind it, more antlers behind that. There were three or four bucks that came in. And the first one, I was like, this thing's 130 plus inches. Looks like a good mature deer. And I am about to shoot it. And so I range it at 19.6. It was facing perfectly at me, but it kept kind of like turning its head feeding to the left. And it was in the woods. And I was like, I'm going to draw back because if it picks its head up, I can shoot it on a front on shot, which I've done before. I actually really like that shot. Um, as long as it's not dead quiet and they're going to duck the arrow. Uh, but I was like, I'm pretty sure it's going to turn to its left, my right. And so I drew back, waited for about four seconds. Sure enough, it turned broadside, slipped an arrow, just a 10 ring shot and it bounced 10 yards and then just stood there. And I go, all right, it's feet are going to go out. It's going to start wobbling. And then it stood there and stood there and stood there. And I'm watching it just pump out blood behind the shoulder this whole time. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm in a saddle. Like I can swing and get another shot on this deer. Even though I know it's going to die, I can shoot it again. So I knock another arrow, swing around the tree. I have to lean as far back as I can in the saddle. And I drew back, put another one through it. At that point, it was quartering away. So I slipped it inside the second to last rib and watched it run out in the bean field and die. And I'm like, this is unreal. The first day that I've got a tag, the first hunt within an hour and a half, and I've got my biggest archery buck of my life. Mm. And so I was like, all right, I'm forever using a saddle. So I go out the next morning. This is the second day of hunting all year. And I shoot a doe and I'm like, dang, two for two. That's awesome. The next big hunt that I had, so we hit the road again, we traveled a bunch. The next big hunt I had was Colorado rifle for elk. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go out there. We're at base camp. We've got about 18 guys at base camp. We all are different ways, you know, in small groups. And the night before season, all the guys were sitting in the, in the cook tent and they're like, Hey, what are you guys planned on? Or what do you have planned for tomorrow? Everyone's going through their plans where they're hunting. And I said, I'm going in deep and I'm going to kill the biggest bull of my life. And they're like, oh, yeah, here goes the cocky. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm honestly, genuinely not trying to be cocky. A mindset like this is going to happen because it, I feel like it makes me more in tune, more alert, more aware of everything around me. And I'm just in that, like, killer mindset, I guess. Yeah, the mental and side so of things. so we yeah. go out there, sure enough. Yeah, the mental, like, I got to it's like a pregame, like, pump up, you know? And so I get in that mindset. Sure enough, we go back in several miles. I 
uh, we were with four guys. We split into two and two and I found these elk and they're like, dude, we don't shoot elk back here. You know that. And I was like, no, I know. I know this is nasty. Like we're already several miles in and it's just like the steepest, nastiest valley and terrain change you can imagine. And so I was like, I get it. I get that we don't shoot elk back here. I've been told that every year that I've hunted here, but if that bull that I keep hearing bugle steps out and he's a good one, I'm going to shoot him. And they're like, don't do it. Don't do it. So anyways, two of the guys split off the other guys with me. I spot this five by five bedded down. And then I see just this big old whale tail coming through the trees next to it. And I'm like, dude, there's a big bull over there. Range it 880, move to this new point that I had ranged. And I was like, man, if I can cut off 200 yards, I'll be in good shape. So I, I sneak up to this point, range it again, 634, and lay down my pack, lay down the rifle, squeeze off around, just smoke it. It's still standing there. It doesn't take a step. The other bull doesn't take a step. Rack another one, pull the trigger, and it drops. So now I'm going, okay, this is day one of elk season. I've hunted now three days all season for big game. I've killed my biggest buck of my life, a doe, and and now my biggest bull of my life. Mm. And I'm like, what in the world? So we finish out elk season. I spent every single day. I was, I was up before the sun every day, even though my tag was full. Like I didn't have any other tags. Uh, I spent every day getting up going out morning most of the day all evening until dark finding bulls for other people we ended up at elk camp having the best year we've ever had we pulled seven bulls out in one season five of those were from first time elk killers and so that was outrageous then i go up to wisconsin day four of big game hunting with a license. So like, I don't count the rest of elk season because I didn't have an active tag. Right, right. That was just me helping other people. Right. So my fourth day of hunting with a tag, get out there, hardly see anything, a couple small, a couple real small bucks and like some does. And they were all, I only had one deer within shooting range. Everything else was just flashes of brown and white through the woods, which was very uncharacteristic of the property that I hunt. And so anyways, I was like, all right, whatever. My luck's wore off. Day two of the hunt, I really, really wanted to fill a buck in a doe tag because my nephew was coming into town and this is his first year hunting. So I was like, no matter what comes in, it's his shot. Like I want to get him his first deer this year. Mm -hmm. So day two of the Wisconsin rifle season, I go sit down, sitting there for two hours in the morning, maybe not even that. I look over and I see brown. It looked real fluffy. It didn't look like a giant body deer or anything, but it was through some brush. But you know how like a young, a young doe in the winter just kind of looks fluffy like a teddy bear. Uh, I, so I, I just, for some reason, chalked it up to being a young doe. Didn't think about turning my camera towards it, even flipping the safety off, blasting it extra. I was just like, whatever. So I go back to looking in the woods, look back over again, and now I see five points on the right side. And I'm like, oh, crap, that's a big buck. (laughs) I'm like, no way. And so I look at my camera, and I bought a camera this year because I really wanted to get more into filming my hunts. Mm -hmm. So I I bought this camera, and it's on the tripod. 
the screen's open, like everything's ready to rock on it. And I just looked at it and I go, I don't have time. And I turn back and get on this buck, pull the trigger. It runs 30 yards. It starts to slow down. I rack another one, pull the trigger and it drops. Biggest buck of my life with a rifle. And I'm like, no way. We're five days into hunting now. I've killed biggest buck with a bow, biggest buck with a rifle, biggest bull, and now, and a doe. So I go down, look at it, just blown away, turn around, go up to my chair to get my, to get my Avalon hunting knife so I can start gutting it. And I get to my chair and I look over and there's a doe at 40 yards. <laughs> my gun is leaning up against the tree 40 yards down the hill from me next to my buck. And I'm like, well, so much for that opportunity. And then she starts kind of feeding up this hill and away from me. And so I wait for her head to get behind a tree and I'm just like fast walking when I can. And then just staying dead still when I can see her eye, I make it all the way down to my rifle, all the way back up to my chair, find her again through the woods, pull the trigger, drop her. And I'm like, this is, is this isn't real. Like none of this is real. Five days in now I've got five animals, three of which are my biggest seven. And to top it off, my nephew gets into town around noon. I tell him to meet me at my mom's house. Uh, so his mom dropped him off. He's 14, I believe. And it's his first year hunting. She drops him off. I go, let's go. We hop in the truck, get to the hunting property. We sit down. It can't be, honestly, I don't know how long it was, but I can't imagine it was 20 minutes into sitting there. I got the camera set up, got the rifle set up. I had my rifle because I did still have a doe tag. And all of a sudden I just hear, Uncle Dan, there's a deer over there. And I'm like, what? And I look over and I immediately see antlers. And I'm like, hey, that is a big, big buck. Like, get your rifle, get ready. You're going to shoot this deer. And he finally gets it the crosshairs. I have stopped it with the old white-tailed man like three times at this point. And finally, he's on it. He shoots. It runs off. Uh, I, I tell him to reload, try to get him on it again. He can't see it, but I can from where I'm at. And so I was like, hey, I got to put this thing down right now, pull the trigger, it drops, we go over. Beautiful, beautiful nine-point, three-and-a-half-year-old whitetail, his first deer, one of the bigger deer that we've ever pulled off of this property. And I'm just like, this is insane. So we ended up having the best season ever in Colorado, the best season ever in Wisconsin. I by far had my best season as far as like all of my personal best were were kind of filled. And so... You can say it was an amazing year. Uh, and I probably should have called it after that, but because I have to be outdoors every possible opportunity, I uh, kept going and sitting. And basically all late season archery, I didn't see anything. No, no good encounters until the final day. I sat behind my buddy's house. He's just got 10 acres. We had had a bunch of bucks on camera back there. I get done with the hunt didn't see I literally didn't see an animal not even a squirrel or a bird nothing all evening long I get back and I get a trail camera notification from my other hunting property and the biggest buck I've ever had on camera anywhere 
showed up an hour and a half after season ended. Mm. Mm. So now, now it's all about shed hunting. I've got a little bit of waterfowl hunting left. I'm going down to this Georgia hunt, but as far as whitetail goes, that wraps up my season and I could not be any more thrilled. Lots of meat in the freezer. Yeah, I'll say. I'm sure you guys go through it. That, that was that was a mouthful. So, so first off, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been on on the receiving end of one of them seasons where you uh, like you you look at something wrong and it's going to die. Like I've I've had those seasons, and then like last year was a yep. perfect example. Like it didn't matter what I did. Um, I couldn't have bought a deer. Um, if I tried. You know, I, last year was the season that I just missed everything. I think it. I I shot it like. I want to say something like I, 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 it pains me to say this. I don't think I ever said this on my show. I think I shot at eight deer until I actually got one last year, and that was with the bow, with a rifle, and then the the deer I ended up killing was like the last day of the statewide season, and it was a small doe with a flintlock muzzleloader. Like that was my season. It was like it, it just you know it's just amazing how sometimes it can go through, but it's it's humbling, you know it's it's humbling yeah, because I sure. think it's so easy to go through and have like expectations throughout a given hunting season. At the end of the day. Like, just go out to have fun. Just go out to have fun and yeah. embrace it. So, one of the yeah, things you- that I've been pretty uh, pr- like following along and talking to you at ATA a little bit, like your your Colorado elk camp that that intrigues me because the vibe that you give with the Colorado elk camp reminds me a lot of like going to a deer camp annually. Yeah, that I mean that is exactly what it's like. Um, I there's not a lot of hunts that I do every single year, but Colorado rifle season will forever be one of those hunts that I make it to no matter where I'm at in the country, no matter what I'm doing, because the family feel of it. I mean, there is a lot of, a lot of the guys are from the same family, you know, we've got three brothers and their father that come out. And then we've got people that come from Pennsylvania, um, Iowa, Nebraska, Missouri, California, like all over the country. And then a bunch of guys from Colorado and these guys, I mean, they're, they're just good guys. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, everybody's pretty rowdy. You know, it's elk camp. Everybody's hanging out, out in the, out in the woods away from family. And so it gets rowdy at night, but these people make it a priority every single year to help new hunters get on elk. And They structure the shooting order accordingly. If you're out with someone and you've shot an elk and they haven't, they get the first shot, no matter what it is that you see, as long as they want it, like they get, they get first right of refusal on an opportunity. And they treated me like that from the first year that I showed up. And it's been that way ever since, you know, every year we try to get new people out there and we try to get new people on elk and it's, it's worked out, but they're, it's a selfless group of guys that just love being outdoors. Yeah, I, you got to love that and that that camaraderie side of things. Because I've said this, I, I feel like a broken record the past couple of weeks with some of the people I've been talking to. Like, um, it's so easy to get hung up on individual deer and trying to fill the biggest buck tag of your life or the biggest bull tag or whatever that is. And I've like I have a similar camp atmosphere. Um, our camp that we have in uh, north central Pennsylvania, we have a, a hunt, Dan, where 
bear is open the same week as our statewide rifle deer season. And we'll get together with a day. We'll join camps with my brother-in-law's camp and we'll have like 20 guys. And we just do this one day hunt together atmosphere. We've, we've shot deer this year. We had a, a great hunt when we did it. And the year before we had a great hunt. We've, we've killed buck bear, you know, you name it. And then, uh, when we're all done, go back to camp and uh you know have some celebration drinks eat a meal together and it's just one of those things that like you can't we could have not shot anything and it still would have been just as good of an experience and the other cool thing i like about that hunt too is it's never um hey what you know you, you come home and you talk about that hunt and you're like what how'd you guys do at camp it's it's never oh i shot a buck it's Oh, we got a buck. Like it's it's like you, yep. we shot three or four deer um, with a group of twenty guys, and it was never. Um, oh, Dan killed that buck. That's Dan's buck. It was it was like our buck that we shot together, and that like that's like one of the biggest highlights for for that. And I wouldn't want to miss that. Oh yeah, those those hunts where it's like a a group of people. I mean, and I talk about this every now and then on my podcast i don't know if it's because like it's in our dna like you look at ancient civilizations and hunting groups where you know the men or the women would go out for extended periods of time all together and and try to get as many animals down and bring as much meat home as possible like that is something that humans have done for centuries or millennia and so there's something about like traveling and all getting together and all going out with the same goal, uh, that that's in us. I mean, it's in our blood and those are, those are my favorite hunts. The two hunts that I will not miss are my big family hunt up in Wisconsin for whitetail and the Colorado hunt. And both of them I'm hunting in closer proximity and with more people than I do on any other hunt throughout the year. But that doesn't matter to me. The fellowship is like the most important thing on those hunts. And both both hunts, we're not nobody's like, oh, I have to have the biggest bull. I have to have the biggest buck. Obviously everyone wants to shoot a big one. But my Colorado elk camp, they they started out doing a big bull contest, right? Everybody puts in some money. Whoever shoots the biggest bull wins the pot. Well, they've switched that because they want people to have success and they don't want people to be passing up on great animals just because it's not the biggest one. And so now they've restructured it to where 25% of the pot goes to the first bull or the first tag field. It doesn't even have to be a bull. 25% goes to the smallest bull and 50% goes to the biggest. And it just encourages people like, hey, if you have an opportunity, take it. We're all out here to get meat and bring meat home. And if you get the biggest one, great. If you get the smallest one, great. We're out here to have fun. And, I mean, it's just, it's an environment like I've never hunted in before. I think I got to bring that up, too, because I, I like that. Because it, it's it's like adding to the camaraderie of camp. And there's a lot of places and people you talk to that get this huge negative mindset about, you know, like a big buck contest or, you know, maybe they're, I know a lot of people that like, if you, if you ask them, oh, Hey, what, what did you, that buck you killed? What did that score? And they like scoff, like, Oh, that ruins the hunt. I hate talking about score. That's like, and it's like this negative atmosphere. Um, which for me, I just think it's just a metric to talk about. It doesn't take away from the deer and the experience. No, not at all. It's just that, but you know, that, that, uh, 
you know, what you were getting at with the, the, the camp camaraderie side. Like, I just think that's, that's playful and just makes it fun. But I like that, that it's including everyone. I'm actually in an archery contest with, with uh, a, a large group of people in my area. It's unique because they partner you with somebody and the way they structure it is like, you get points if you shoot a doe and then it's not by the biggest buck. It's just like a point system with your bucket. It's just cut like a, it, it's, it, it adds to that competition side of you that you know is obviously ingrained in every one of us especially if you're an athlete like it it adds to that but it doesn't take away from why we hunt it's not like you know we're going out because they were shooting the biggest one or bust it's we're going out and enjoying that and this is adding to the camaraderie of it like i I just love that that i mean we have to compete like we're especially the guys i mean women can be just as competitive like my wife she wants to have the biggest animals on her wall even though she doesn't hunt that often um, and so like the competition side of it, it can add to it. And yeah, if you take it too far, it might take away. But honestly, if, if it wasn't for the size of the animal and it's not for the size of the rack, we'd talk about how much it weighed. If it wasn't how much it weighed, maybe we'd talk about who put the most miles on throughout the week. If it wasn't bad, it'd be how much, who saw the most Eagles. Like we just have to compare ourselves to other people and have that competition for whatever reason. But in my mind, it adds to it. Like, there's very few times where I see that competing takes away from things, unless I'm playing board games with my extended family. Then, then it gets pretty heated. And I, I think somebody like you, Dan, like you, you probably don't like sit and weigh on that stuff. You're just out and enjoying stuff. But I know a lot of people that like let stuff like that weigh on them and think about like, is am I taking this too far, or or, or they're concerned that other people take it too far, like. I don't know. Like, I'm, I think, I'm a firm believer in do what makes you happy. Yeah, and screw everybody else. Like, don't be don't be so worried about other people that it ruins anything for you. Like, they can be as caught up and as wrapped up in shooting a 160 inch deer or a 380 inch elk. But guess what? If that's not your cup of tea, go out there and shoot whatever's legal and get your heart pumping. Like, I'm never gonna be one to tell people I. And, and here's the caveat to that. I get it. If it is private land, if you own a chunk of land and you're trying to do deer management and you want to shoot a certain age class deer, I don't care if it's age class. I don't care if it's antler size. If you have that set up, then I understand. Hey, listen, if you're going to come hunt with me, you have to follow these criteria. This is the hit list of deer that we're going to go after. So on and so forth. If it's public land, go out there as long as it's legal. And you do it ethically, have fun, don't ruin somebody else's experience because you put too much pressure on them to shoot what you want and not what they would be happy with. Bingo, bingo. Like I've I've been on I've like to to kind of cater to what you said in uh, on the first half, like I, I I'm fortunate I've hunted some pretty really you know, some pretty good private land and you know, have criteria and stuff and then people will come in and, and get invited to come hunt on that land and then they'll like question like well why can't i shoot this buck or why can't like because that's the rules and that's what's imposed you're invited to this place and either embrace it or don't hunt and don't like don't complain about it like that's that's not cool but sure um usually the 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 thing that screams more is the opposite of what you just said like people imposing what you shoot and talking about what you shoot you you shoot all the time and it's like you know 
bingo to, to doing what you love and keeping it. To, and and my, my mind has changed a lot too, because when I was a kid in like high school and college and like the, my, my time availability was so much more and uh, I could think about, you know, how serious I wanted to get and, and how big of a buck I wanted to shoot. And, and I would devote that time. And now, um, while it's still in nature, like I, I pass a lot of deer because it just doesn't excite me to shoot a certain, you know, a, you know, a younger deer. Like it, I cherish it more than I did before because my time is limited yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah, no, I totally, I totally understand that. And honestly, I have a different criteria on the hunting property, my main hunting property in Missouri, because I'm the only one who actually has access to it. Now I've got permission from the landowner to take people out with me. But what I start out doing, if it's a first time hunter, or even if they've hunted for years and have never killed anything, when I take them out, I tell them up front, shoot whatever you want. I don't care if it's a spike, a button buck, a young doe, a big doe, a big buck. Like you're coming out here and I want you to have the best experience you possibly can. I'm not going to put pressure on you. I just want you to make a good shot on whatever animal you're happy with. Now, during that time, I talk about land management and deer management and kind of my vision for the property, what I want to see over the next two years, five years, 10 years. And then if they do come back again and they're on their second deer, well, then what they're allowed to shoot changes. Sure. But that first deer, I always say anything like I'm not going to be upset. Will I be upset if they shoot my number one target buck? Maybe a little bit, <laughs> but I also tell them up front. Actually so. I also tell them up front, if the big guy walks out, you just better be faster than me. Uh, and so uh, I just, I just want people to get into it and you're not going to get somebody into it or get somebody. Somebody's going to deter them as much as getting a bunch of deer in front of them and then continually telling them, no, you can't shoot that. No, you can't shoot right. that. No, you can't shoot that. Like that sounds like the biggest bummer ever. Yeah. Cause as much as I enjoy that and passing deer, I also love shooting deer. I mean, it's, there's something about shooting deer and shoot just shooting stuff and in, in general that's fun as as much as there's people in the world that would 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 painfully hear hear those words coming out of my mouth it's just true it's just fun i want to i want to kind of yep. dive into colorado elk camp a little bit more because um western hunting is one of those things that intimidates me not and it, it doesn't necessarily intimidate me from the the fact of like um, saying, okay, that ridge over there real far, um, that's where we're going to hunt today. Like the, the physical and, and limitations, like that doesn't, um, that doesn't intimidate. It's the, the preparation and understanding of how, uh, licensing points and everything else goes on. And then also, you know, understanding, um, you know, property lines, any, any new state you hunt, that's just one of those things that you have to learn. I think that that just kind of comes with it, but it's, it's more along the lines of the, the, the gap of not being so far away here in Pennsylvania to Western state that it's, it's hard to go out and, and do a scouting trip and then go out and say, I've got a, a seven day window. I'm going to take vacation and be successful. Um, it's, that's what intimidates me. It's, it's the, the, the yeah. limited time. And then also understanding that like, you go out for a hunt. Like we were just talking, you go out for a hunt and you, and you go, if you want to do it yourself, you're up for a hunting experience. And if you shoot something, it's a bonus, but at the same time, like, I, it would bum me like if I went on a on an elk hunt or a mule deer hunt and I did all this planning, did it all myself, and went and you didn't see a 
see a thing like that. And that happens. That happens. I hear so many people that do that on a DIY situation and they might not have the, the best experience. So it just intimidates me. I did an elk hunt, uh, 2019. I did it with a guide and it was like the, the greatest hunting experience we could have ever imagined. We, we all killed bulls with our bows and, you know, hear screaming Dang. elk and see elk. I mean, it was a fantastic experience. And like, I keep thinking to myself, like, I just want to go do that again. I want to experience that again. But then there's this, also this, this part of me that's like, yeah, I would have fun if I went and hunted that same area with that same guide and did all that. But there's also part of me that wants to go do something different. And then, like, I, I hear you talk about your, your Colorado elk camp, and it seems like the exact same atmosphere, and there's a DIY aspect of it, and it's really cool. So how did you, like, get into doing an elk camp like that? And, like, I don't even know how does it work with Colorado because I've, I've been hearing so many people talk about point creep and stapes and, and stuff like this. Like, it's just – it's all uh, a, a giant just mess in my mind. So I'll start with saying that there are so many places that you can go out west and hunt on an over-the-counter tag. Now, the price is quite a bit, but it, it, all, it all comes down to homework in my mind because there's, there's thousands of people a year, maybe tens of thousands of people a year who go out west and hunt and they have no idea what they're doing. And there's people who go out there and they have success and there's people that don't have success. Some of the successful people are lucky. Some of the successful people really did their homework and their research and figured out what it takes to get it done. Now, the, the way that I got into it, so I moved out to Colorado, super stoked first year out there. I go to Walmart to buy a tag and I was like, I'm just going to get a tag, whatever I can get, uh, mule deer and elk, um, bear, pronghorn, you name it. If I can get a tag for it, I'm going to go out and hunt it. I go into Walmart. They said, how long have you been a Colorado resident? I said, three months. They said, okay, so you have to hunt as a non-resident. I said, what? No, I live here. Like I've been paying taxes and paying rent and like contributing to society here for months. They're like, no, you have to be here for six months. Mm. So then I start looking, I'm like, all right, well, what's the price difference? Well, it went from $49 to like $650 for the tag. Mm. I just moved out there. I'm broke, man. I, I can't afford that. So I didn't hunt at all that first year. Second year comes around. Going to do the same thing. Just going to find a, a public land unit. And we had explored some places, seen elk in different places. And so I was like, all right, you know, I've got my ideas. And I met up with these guys the year before waterfowl hunting. And they were all big into elk hunting. And we hunted in the, we hunted the same field together multiple times. And one of them said, Hey, dude, you should come out to elk camp. And it's my good buddy, Sean. And I, as soon as he said that, I was like, dude, done. Absolutely. I don't care when it was. I don't care how much work I have to take off. If I had to quit my job in order to go and hunt, like I probably would have. And so luckily the guys I worked for were super awesome, super understanding. They gave me the time off to go to elk camp and that was my first intro into it. And I remember I said, all right, Hey, what time are we getting up, you know, sunrise and say six fifteen? do we want to be out there? Cause then shooting lights five forty-five, which I know these times are way off from what it actually is in Colorado at that time of year. But I'm like, Hey, do we get up super early? Do we want to be out to a certain spot? He's like, no, no, we'll get up at this time. We'll try to get up there. Like we want to basically be getting, to the spot right around shooting light, like just pulling up on the four wheeler. And I'm thinking like, you guys are crazy. Like 
I'm, I'm in the mindset of like a Eastern hunter. Like I want to be in the stand. I want the woods to settle down for a full hour before shooting light. And so they started teaching me little by little. I started learning uh, from what they told me from their past experiences. I started learning from my experiences each, each time I would go out every morning, evening, midday, like where we were seeing the elk. And I started putting it all together. Um, now with that, I will say before season, I was going over to Sean's house and we were looking at Onyx and he's explaining to me the different things. I was watching YouTube videos. I was watching hunting shows. And I'm not talking like the YouTube videos where all you see is the vapor trail of the bullet, the animal die, and then it goes to the next one. I'm watching YouTube videos where they're explaining where they're hunting, why they're hunting that way, what the elk are doing at that time of day, at that time of year, at that elevation, the the gear reviews. I'm watching past videos of like, hey, this is what I'm packing for a first season or a fourth season high country elk hunt. And so I'm, I'm really trying to just be a student of elk hunting at this point. And I always wanted to archery elk hunt. Like that was, that seemed like the most amazing thing being up close and personal. But I also understood in Colorado for a mature bull, I want to say the pers- the success rate is 3% on a mature bull with a bow. And so I said, okay, so that means if I'm just an average dude, one every 33 years, I'm going to shoot a bull. But I know that I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to go back in farther. I'm going to hunt harder, hunt smarter, do everything I can to learn about these animals. But I still would rather learn about them with a bunch of people who know what they're doing. Bingo. And, and then two years from now, maybe I'll get my archery license. I want to figure it out with the rifle because I've got a higher percent chance of success. And then a couple of years from now, I'll start getting into bow hunting again. And so honestly, that's kind of been my journey. I hunted with them for, hunted with them for a couple of years, had a bunch of friends. Uh, once I, so I hunted there for a couple of years, moved back to Missouri, started having to actually pay the non-resident tag prices, which was unfortunate. Um, but I had a bunch of guys that wanted to go out. And so now at this point I'm going, okay, let's plan a trip out to Colorado. We're not going to go to the same spot. I'm not going to bring a bunch of non-residents into my buddy's honey hole and just be like, Hey, I brought five buddies with me. You know, like I just didn't think that was right. And they probably would have buried me out in the mountains. (laughs) So, excuse me. So we went to a different unit. We all got together, did a bunch of e-scouting. I looked at the topography, looked at the terrain features, looked at the foliage, uh, really tried to figure all of this stuff out for a brand new unit that I had never hunted and don't know anybody who has ever hunted. And so we pick all this stuff out and through e-scouting, we got on a good spot. The first day that we were there, it was two days before season. We got there, we got camp set up and started scouting. We saw three legal bulls. One of them was the biggest bull that I've ever seen on a hunting prop, like on a, in a unit that I was currently hunting. Right. Uh, saw a bunch of cows, saw a ton of mule deer. And I'm like, dude, this is golden. We're, we're in them. We're already in them. Like we're going to, we're going to go out opening day and shoot them. And the next day we saw more and then opening day came and nothing. I think I went five days without seeing an elk on the hoof. Was the pressure that bad? And 
the amount of people that came in last minute was insane. And we just saw people all over, you know, like my one buddy, he, he went out to this spot where we had seen some of the elk and he went out, he went to go after that big bull. And he's like, dude, I was getting close. Like I could catch bits and bits of movement through the cedars. And all of a sudden some guy just comes through walking through, ends up seeing them, starts firing at them. Like the, the whole herd's running. And he's like, he's taking shots at these elk just that are running mm. and just blows the whole place up. And so, I mean, the hunting pressure there was, was pretty extreme. And honestly, like I would normally hunt that close to the road access. Cause like, I mean, we weren't very far from the main highway, but the main guy that I wanted to get a bull was my buddy's dad from Mississippi and it was on his bucket list and he's getting up there in years. And so I really kind of catered the hunt to him mm. at the end of the week. We didn't kill a bull. We didn't kill anything. We never even pulled the trigger. But at the end of the week, we also all learned a lot. We learned what we would do different, how we would hunt the elk different in that unit. We learned the types of terrain that they were in, in that specific unit. And we walked away from it and everybody was like, that was unbelievable. Aside from shooting something, we wouldn't change a thing. We had so much fun. Good. And so it's that side of things. Like you can go out with the anticipation and the expectation of shooting something. Whether or not it happens, that's the that's where you have to really decide how you're going to react, how you're going to respond, and what you're going to learn from it. Because if you go out there and you don't get success the first year, the second year, the third year, if you're going to be defeated, like maybe picking up Western hunting isn't for you. But if you every year go, man, I learned so much last year. I'm going to put that to this year and increase my chances tenfold. Like that's the mindset that you have to have going into a hunt like this. So, sorry, that was a lot of word vomit, but. No, it was really good to to hear that perspective, Dan, because I'm somewhere in between because like everything you're talking about, like taking it to the next level. I'm absolutely there. You know, I think about the hunting that I'm trying to do here on the East Coast. You know, right now my, my, my bug up my rear end is killing a bear here in Pennsylvania with my bow. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I want to venture out and do some other whitetail hunts in, in some other states. Um, the, the other thing that's kind of on my, on my radar um, in the not-so-distant future, hopefully, um, is a mule deer. I'd love to kill a mule deer. Yeah. And I, I'd love to do it with my bow. You know, I killed an elk, and I think the next thing I'd like to do. But the, the, the difference between a mule deer and the other hunts that I'm talking about is, is mostly just the the land mass between the locations I got to go to do the off-season work, to do the preparation, and then uh, the time associated with making that happen, you know, whereas I can probably take a three day weekend here and a, and a two, you know, a day and during the week here and there for an hour long drive to go where I want to go bear hunting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably talking about a, a week long plus commitment going out to uh, a state to mule deer hunt. And right now it's yeah. not necessarily that I, I can't do that, but the, the fit, the, the strain on my wife, my kids, my finances, my job all that stuff it's uh the battle is not necessarily in the mind as a hunter it's it's as a as a father and a husband who wants to go hunting and i I think what i'm trying to figure out is how do i take all those all those variables and make it as successful as possible i don't have to kill something but 
be as efficient as possible to that way if I have that five to seven day hunt, I maximize it and did everything I could regardless of whether that tag gets punched. Yeah, and honestly, all of that comes to e-scouting, doing your homework, watching videos from people who are hunting a similar terrain or, uh, you know, an area that you want to hunt, same time of year, same weaponry. Um, how are they going about it? And are they having success? Are they having multiple encounters? Um, you know, the gear is a big thing. Like, you want to be comfortable out there and you want to be prepared because coming from the Midwest, yeah, you could, like, growing up in Wisconsin, we could have a warm day and then we could get snow the next day. But the mountain, you can have four of those cycles in a 24-hour period. And so you have to be ready for different variables while you're out there hunting. On top of that, like, making sure that you're dialed in at extended ranges because getting a 30-yard shot or a 25-yard shot on an elk or a mule deer, that's not as realistic or as common as getting a 25 yard shot on a deer that comes into a corn pile, mm -hmm. you know? And so like when you're doing spot and stock hunting, which 95, 99%, I don't know how much of it out West is that kind of hunting for, for elk and muleys. Like you have to, you have to be training and not just planning, but training the way that these guys do. And for the type of hunts that these guys do. Um, I do want to mention <clears throat> not sponsored by Onyx at all. But I just saw possibly the greatest feature on any mapping software that I've ever seen yesterday. And it's with Onyx. And I wish I had the name of it. It's like the view. Oh, it's like the view map or something like that. If you look up new features on YouTube, new features on Onyx on YouTube, I guarantee it'll pop up. They have now come out with a feature on their mapping software where when you're looking at the view of the of the property of the unit that you're wanting to hunt, you can click on an area and it will give you, it will highlight the area that you are able to glass from that point. So say you're on a mountainside and you're like, all right, I'm thinking about setting up up here and glassing from here. This is the first spot I want to check. You click on it and it's going to tell you the area that you're going to be able to see from that point on the map. It's incredible. I saw the first time I've ever seen anything about it was yesterday on Instagram, I believe on Onyx's Instagram account. And that is invaluable because it's one thing to get to an area and want to try to find animals in that area. But sometimes you get there and it's a little bit different than what you were expecting. You know, the cover is a little bit more, um, you know, the elevation's not quite as steep. And so now you're only looking at a 200 yard area when you want to be looking at a half mile. So using, using tools like that or whatever mapping software you have, um, there's certain, you know, this is getting more into maybe advanced Western hunting, but there's certain states and certain units. Like when you draw a moose tag or a big horn or a mountain goat tag that you can actually download maybe have to pay for a kill chart of the animals. Um, we did that for a moose hunt out there. First time ever moose hunting, first time with any type of experience with moose. And my buddy drew a tag. We get online and we found that you can actually download the kill site map for moose. Mm. And so we downloaded it and it tells you if it was a bull or a cow. It tells you if it was plus or minus 30 inches or whatever, whatever, you know, the, the key code was for it on there. 
And so we used that to help aid. We were able to get out there, sneak away for a long weekend and scout, found a lot of animals that way. But we used that in conjunction uh, with scouting to determine what drainage that we wanted to spend most of our time in. And so there's so many different cool tools. There's so many different forums. Uh, I will say that this probably isn't going to work for everybody, but <laughs> it's really funny. And I have to mention it. I, d I don't talk about it a whole lot. When he found out that he drew his moose tag, he's like, all right, how am I going to get the most accurate information about moose and big bulls and this and that? What he decided was to get on a Facebook page and it was like the Colorado Facebook moose viewing page or moose photographers or whatever. And he, <laughs> he went on and he changed his profile picture. So it wasn't a hunter anymore. And he said, Hey, my dad's coming in from out of state and he really wants to see a moose. Anybody know where we can go see a big bull? <laughs> no, so, I'm not kidding you. And these people on this Facebook page, they were sending him pictures of moose and they're like, Oh, this was in this Valley in this area, right outside of this town, take this dirt road. And I was like, that is the most deceitful and brilliant thing I've ever heard. Cause now you have 20 different moose pictures and you know, right where each of them was taken. Oh my and word. That is, I mean, genius. I don't, I don't even know if any of them, I want to say there was only like one or two, maybe a, a handful that were in the unit that he was hunting, that he had his tag for. But I was like, dude, that is so brilliant. That's beyond brilliant. Um, so anyways, you can go, you can go with some outside of the box strategy, figuring out where the animals are also. I couldn't find the name of that new feature, but I mean, Onyx has a lot of really great features that I've used and you know, I've used a couple different mapping services over the years. And at, at, I mean, e-scouting is one of those things where I think it's probably very, specific to the region you hunt like i do i use e-scouting for a lot of the hunting i do in pa in the east here but um i've heard a lot of people's theories and strategies and when it comes to whitetails for instance behind e-scouting some of it i can relate to and some of i can't i think it's kind of a geography based thing and a, and a, a localized thing so i mean when you're getting into western species and how you e-scout it would be a whole new learning learning thing i'm kind of curious from your perspective because you know you're from the midwest and and you know have really dove into uh, Western hunting, and you talked about the training, and a lot of us think about uh, training from a physical sense, which is ex extremely important. But what what's the mental side of things like for you, as far as mentally preparing, mentally training for something like that? I mean, is that is that anything that's even in your in, in your wheelhouse, or it's just kind of a learned thing? Uh, like you know, take it as it comes and roll with it. See, I'm not I'm not the kind of guy growing up that necessarily had a lot of quit in him, but I also didn't have a lot of go, you know, like I was kind of in the middle, like when things got hard, I wouldn't just bail right away. But I also wasn't like, Oh yeah, we got to go a thousand miles an hour. I wasn't like a David Goggins or a Cameron Haynes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, with Western hunting, you really have to get into that mindset where you're not going to quit. Like if you, if you're an easily discouraged person, I would say you need to work on your mental toughness before going out there, because there are going to be days where you are completely wiped. All your physical and mental and emotional energy is just drained and you got to keep pushing through. And Western hunting is a lot of type two fun. Like if any of you guys, I'm sure a lot of people listen to 
the meat eater podcast and type two fun. It might be miserable in the moment. And you're going to look back and be like, that was amazing. But in the moment, you're going to want to die. You're going to want to just give up on the side of the mountain or at the base of a mountain or, you know, packing out meat. Like it's, it is a difficult thing. And so the mental toughness side of things, that's something that I want to continue to work on. I've gotten to the point now where having been out West and hunted for several years, I know what to expect. And so when I'm out there, I want to be the first one up the mountain. I want to go like this past year, there were a couple different elk that I helped pack out where I would make it to the top, dump my pack, turn around, go back down and grab somebody else's pack and give them a break. And not everyone's going to be able to do that, but just to have that mindset, like, Hey, it's going to be difficult. Go into it knowing that there's going to be a lot of physical and emotional and mental output. And you're not going to be able to like just refuel every elk sighting, every elk encounter, every opportunity that's going to give you a, a little bump or a little burst, but you really do have to be mentally fit in order to pursue these animals, especially in the terrain, like where I hunt. Yeah. I, I, wholeheartedly believe that i mean and one thing i would i'm, I'm assuming based on what you're telling me is you know, a lot of time you'll talk about groups of you know maybe you got a group of buddies hey let's let's all go out let's do a let's do a hunt out west and you and let's do it together and and probably one of the things that gets overlooked so much is is everybody on the same wavelength when it comes to what you're doing on that hunt and how you're going to go about doing it yeah. because that could probably create some friction going with a group of guys and not everybody's on the same page of how you're going to go about that on that mental uh, toughness side of things. Oh, definitely. You you need to be, you need to be with people that like aren't going to drag you down. You know, like if you go out there and you're a mentally tough guy and you're, you're like, dude, I'm gung ho. I'm going to go 14 miles back in there. I'm going to chase after these elk. Then we're going to have, you know, three days of packing out, whatever. And you're hunting with a bunch of people who want to go and drink and play cards in the tent and hunt for the first two hours in the morning and the first or the last two hours of the evening. Like you have to, you have to be in, in a like-minded group of people. And honestly, not everybody has to be in that place. If you go out there and there's six of you and three of the guys want to hang back and just take it easy. And three of them want to hunt hard. That's totally fine also. Right. But if you're just paired up, if you go out there and you're not like-minded as far as hunting strategy uh, how, how much work you want to put into it, the mental toughness side of it, even the target animal, you know, if you're going out there and you're like, dude, I'm out here to shoot a big bull. And somebody else is like, dude, a spike is legal in this unit. So that's all I care about. Like you, you want as, as little resistance as possible within your hunting group. You know, anybody you take out hunting should be an asset and you want to be that guy also. So if you do go out with somebody who might not be as mentally tough, you know, hopefully there's multiple guys that are with you that are that you can kind of encourage and, and kind of build them up instead of being brought down. Um, otherwise you're going to cause dissension. You're going to make it unpleasant or it's going to be unpleasant for you to go out and do these Western hunts. And so communication is key with all of that. You know, everybody needs to understand what the expectations are. For camp, what it's going to look like set up, who's cooking, who like taking care of the firewood. Like if you can, if you can delegate and you can figure out the different roles and expectations long before the hunt, 
that's going to be the best because it's also going to suck if you if you decide you want to have that conversation two weeks before the hunt and everybody's already taken off of work and then some people are realizing wait a minute this isn't the hunt that i was hoping for i like that we've we've kind of been we've kind of been centered everything around colorado elk camp because that's i think you know the the thing that you've done consistently on a regular basis has kind of grown part to you know it's grown part of you it's been part of your reputation one of the hunts you love to do the most but i mean there's so much hunting opportunity west of the mississippi and to be honest with you other than my elk hunt in 19 i haven't done a lick of hunting out there and it's one of those things that at some point in my life i want to do so is is my best option in all reality to just figure out what I want to do and buckle down and start reading as much of the rules and regs and from that state, you know, downloading that information on the, on their state website. Is that, is that basically my starting point in a lot of cases? And I, I would seem that it, it, the part of me seems like that's a dumb question. We're just in the, in the 21st century, like there's just information overload in a lot of sense. So is there a way to be more efficient, yeah. I guess? Yeah. So what I would say is figure out a timeline of when you want to go. And that's going to, that's going to either open or close a lot of doors and opportunities for different units to hunt. But if you say, Hey, you know, it's 2023 in 2028, I want to plan a big hunt. Get online, look at the units that take five points because in five years you will have five points towards a unit. And the more points that a unit requires, typically the more opportunity or the bigger bulls or bucks that there are in the area. And so you can start out with that and do your research and there's plenty of websites and now apps that you can track, you know, success rates, draw odds, and you can put all of that together to determine, okay, what state do I want to go to? And the pricing of it's another big thing. How much is a non-resident tag? You know, is it going to be $400 to go and hunt this animal or $900 to go and hunt this animal? And so that's a good starting point is doing your homework on the draw odds, the pricing, um, the success rates. And then from there, you can start honing in the other details. There's a lot of places if it's like, hey, I want to go out this year. I really want to go hunt something this year. Plenty of opportunity to do that. There's over-the-counter archery tags and and rifle tags in a lot of Western states. And <clears throat> in fact, this year, I went and helped my friend Linnea on a hunt. And I have never archery hunted mule deer before. Um, so we went out and she, this was her first year hunting period. And so we went out together and we tried to find some elk or, I mean, tried to find some mule deer. And it was a struggle the first few days, but we hopped online. We were checking out Onyx. We were trying to gather as much information on what, what mule deer did at that time of year in that area, talking to other people we knew that hunted the state but not necessarily that unit. And we narrowed it down to this one valley and we spent the whole week in that valley and she drew with zero points. A lot of people said it might take one or two points. She said, hey, I'm just gonna put this in as one of my options. First year hunting, first year putting in for points in Utah and she drew the tag and we had so many opportunities or so many encounters with mule deer fairly close. I mean, inside of a hundred yards, she even stalked one into 15 yards and so I look, I look at all of that and I go, you know, gather the information. You have to understand what's doable for you, how far in you can get with a truck, or do you need a four-wheeler, or is it all foot traffic? Um, I would start there with the unit, 
or the state, then the unit, and then figure out what it's going to take to hunt that unit. Okay. Yeah, so first time uh, mule deer archery hunting, you, you went with her. That, like I said, that's probably the next thing that I'm interested in. Like I said, uh, beyond saying I want to experience spot and stalk mule deer hunting, um, that's about the only thing that I have on my mind. You know, like there's so many states with a variety of different terrains, topographies, and experiences you can have along the way. Um, I, I definitely can't say that I'm biased one way or the other. So I think I probably, in that respect, probably have a lot more options than saying it has to be, you know, in the high country or it has to be in the plains or, or something like that, or it has to be a certain size age class or whatever that I need to get, you know, a better unit for. So that's probably a positive thing, but it's still, it's kind of daunting and overwhelming when I think about, um, for sure, trying to narrow it down. I, this is what I would say. If you can go into a hunt with two mindsets, <coughs> excuse me, one, don't go into it with the expectation that you're going to do, do whatever it takes to make it happen. And two, go into it with the idea that this is going to be an adventure of a lifetime, no matter what the outcome is. You're either going to succeed or you're going to learn. And if you can, if you can go into it with that mindset and you go, okay, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And even, even if it doesn't, I'm going to have the adventure of a lifetime. I'm going to have a lot of fun. And I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can about this area, about these animals, about this time of year, about the terrain. You're, you're going to walk away with a win either way. And you're going to go, okay, this is for me or this is not for me. But I would be very surprised if you go into it with those mindsets and you walk away from any hunt anywhere and say, no, you know what? This isn't for me. I, I would say, less than 5% of people are going to give up after that first season if they can go into it with that thought process. I guess that's one thing I'd be nervous too, is like if I go and I do something like this on my own and I do everything you're, you're describing and what kind of the things that I have in my head of, you know, driving yourself and pushing hard, because if I'm going to go hunting, I want to do the best of the best and, you know, push it to the to the to the max that I can I guess that's one of my biggest fears is that if, if it hooks me and I and I don't want to I don't want to stop doing it so then it's going to be juggling that in the midst of all the other hunting I like to do and in the midst of trying to uh, be a husband and a dad and that's probably one of the things that's on in the in the back of my mind that not that I'm going to let that deter me but it's a it's a real it's a real possibility yeah. And I mean, that's something that everybody's got to juggle and they've got to figure out exactly how much time and energy and money that they can, how many brownie points they have to cash in towards something like this. But, you know, for most people doing five out of state hunts every year is unrealistic. You know, it might just be one. It might just be one every year and all of your other hunts are pretty close to home and that's fine. And you have to just know what your limits are with your work, how much time you can get off of work, you know, home responsibilities are with a spouse and kids, or, you know, if you're a single guy and you're like, man, I work from home or I work remotely. Like maybe you do have opportunity to go and do this all the time, which you, you have to know what your limits are in every sense of the hunt, you know, with the social side of it like that, with, with the financial side, with the physical side, with the mental side, um, 
And the way that I view it and the way that I justify it, like every time I go on a hunt, um, you know, if my wife and family come, come along to the area or not, uh, I view it as, I view it as like, I'm not just spending all of this money on hunting because we don't do like traditional vacations all the time. You know, like we're not going on a Disney cruise or anything like that. And so I go, okay, it's going to cost money, but how much money would I spend on the same amount of time going to this place or that place? Honestly, this isn't that expensive all of a sudden. I'm getting a vacation, I'm getting recreation, and then I'm potentially also bringing meat home. And then for me, fortunately, because it's uh, what I do for a living is podcasting and social media around hunting, like it's also business. So I'm going to get a lot of um, and so I would definitely say that. And then on the, on the wife and kids side of things, like the more loving that you can be while you are home and especially immediately following a hunt, like when you come home, I, I try to focus on that one. I miss my family a ton. Like when I'm out there, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of time being away from them where I'm like, man, I really miss those kids. I really miss my wife. Uh, and so when I get home, I'm like as loving as possible. I try to help out any way I can. I try to give my wife that break and say, Hey, you know what? You go do this for the day. Why don't you go to Target and Starbucks? Or, Hey, why don't you go hang out with this friend or that friend or your sister or your mom? And the, the more that you can kind of ease that burden before and after the hunt, the more prone they're going to be to saying, yeah, you know what? Go ahead and being super supportive of you going and doing the things that you love. So uh, there's a lot of ways to navigate that, but that's kind of what I found works best. One thing my wife said to me at the toward the end of season this year, you know, I, I I try to do as good of a job as I can communicating and trying to make sure that we're we're accomplishing our goals and dreams and all that stuff, and and you know doing it together and not an I sense, even though we're a married couple. One of the things she said yeah. to me that really opened my eyes, and I said I, I said. I made the comment. We were kind of frustrated. We were like, I said, you know, I, I hunted less this year than I did in almost any other season of my life. You know, I, I tried to manage the time when I was trying to do stuff at home. I was trying to help you guys out and make it as, as least um, intrusive as I possibly could. And uh, she said something to me that really opened me up. And she goes, but when you're home, you're still not here. She goes, mentally, you're not here. You're still in the woods. You're still talking strategy. You're still calling your buddies at certain times. You're on your phone look at, looking at your maps. You're looking at trail camera pictures. Like, when you're here, you're not here. She's like, and I need you here. She's like, I don't care if you go away and hunt. And I was like, wow, I never thought of it like that. Because in my mind, I'm doing all the day-to-day -day stuff, trying to take the load off of her as a as a you know a, a fall single mother, I guess, as many of us hunters like to call it. So that was one thing that oh, that I'm hoping I do a better job of in the upcoming season. Yeah, man, that's that's a great like word of advice because you know in in talking with my wife, and it was something that a professor said in college. He's like, wherever you're at, be all there. He used to say that all the time. And I'm like, man, that's really good because it's easy for us to just be absent-minded but be present physically. And, like, our our kids, our spouses, they deserve that, uh, you know, when we're there to be present. And then I would say on top of that, the amount of support that you want to see, like, I, I think that each, anybody in a relationship, both part, both people in that relationship need to try to out support the other person. 
if that makes sense. Like you want to be more supportive of them than they are of you. And if you guys, if that's a point of competition for you, it's going to end up really working out really well. So whatever your spouse is interested in, like support them 110% in that and help them find opportunities to grow and to go out and recreate and do, do the things that they love in the same way that you would want them to do that for you. And then like with your wife, if you're there 110% or if you're there and fully present mentally and emotionally and physically for your family, then when you're hunting, you're going to have more of that freedom when you're hunting. You know, she's not going to be like, oh my gosh, where are you? I need you. Like, she's going to also understand that like when you're hunting, you need to be all there. And yeah, you might check in with her. You might have an in-reach or something that you can text every now and then saying like, hey, I'm okay. Just checking in for the day. But like, it will free up you mentally and emotionally knowing that you left your wife and your kids in a good in a good space, in a good head space to where now you can enjoy and really focus on the hunt and what you're doing while you're out there. I really like that. So, uh, nomadic door outdoorsman, uh, that, that kind of r- rings true for you just because you like the adventure. You like to bounce around. You don't like to hone in on one thing. You like to be, you know, indulging in everything. So, um, I'm kind of curious on, on, on your bucket list, like you got, you probably got some short-term goals and some long-term goals. So what, what's some short-term and some long-term hunting things you you're really looking forward to do, or you're really trying to pursue, um, coming up here. So my short-term goals are definitely to get deeper into archery hunting out West. You know, I'm, I'm branching out into multiple States this year, trying to start build building points for a lot of different places, but I really want to explore the archery side of things in Western States even more. Like I plan to go back if I get lucky enough to draw that same unit that Linnea drew last year, I want to go and chase after Mealy's with my bow. And you know, it might be another tag team hunt her and I, but I'm definitely carrying a bow this year. I won't go back to that unit with that one. Mm. Um, and so I want to, I want to pursue some of that. Um, Honestly, I, I want to experience new hunts and I set a goal every year of hunting with 20 new people. I think we talked about that maybe during the recording or before it, but I want to set another goal of experiencing new hunts every year. And I don't know what that number is, but like I hear about people shooting iguanas with blow guns and a bow fishing reel down in Florida mm-hmm. or python hunting or axis deer or Sika or javelina or, you know, bear hunting, uh, with your bow over bait or with hounds, uh, you know, some Southern States like South Carolina, I think still allows deer hunting with hounds. I like, I love the idea of man still using dogs to help bring home meat. And I want to experience some of those things. I know that's a pretty highly debated topic. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people with very strong opinions. I've never done it. And I know that's the culture down there and I want to experience things like that. And so I also in the short term want to start branching out and, and discovering a lot more styles of hunting for myself. Slick. Pretty cool. Yeah. I, uh, I'm too narrow-minded. I'm too, I'm too much of a, uh, 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 specialist, I guess you want to say. I'm not really a specialist. I, I, I try to be act like one, but I just love what, I just love what, what I have, in this state and the surrounding states and i'm comfortable with that and i'm hoping as as i 
grow as a hunter and I can branch out and experience new things. Like I said, elk, like an elk was, was a bucket list thing. And, uh, that, that was such a cool experience. And it, it is something that just like going out West keeps, just, just keeps biting at me. Um, so that's I encourage cool. everybody, I encourage everybody to try new things. Cause you don't know what your favorite thing is until you try a lot. You know, it's really easy to grow up as a whitetail hunter. Like for me, it was really easy to grow up as a whitetail hunter and say that whitetail hunting was my favorite. But once I started hunting other things, I found out that that was a new favorite and it might only be for a short amount of time, a season or a couple seasons. But there's things that I get so excited about now that I would have never in a million years said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to be pumped up about frog gigging. Like that's one of my favorite nights of the year is opening night of frog season where me and a bunch of buddies put headlamps on and we bring poles and spears and tridents and blow guns and BB guns and 22s. And we just go out and gather a whole bucket of frogs. And like I would have called you crazy if you said that was awesome. Pig hunting, coyote hunting, rabbit, squirrel, dove, deer, elk, you name it. Every time I hunt something, I'm like, I could get seriously hooked on this. And then you have a wide variety of things that you can do throughout the year, or you have a wide variety of things that you can go, okay, this is what I really want to put my time into. Because nobody can do all of it. Um, You can do a lot of it, but you're not going to be able to do everything. My goal is just to experience a lot of different things. Some of them might be one and done. Some of them might be things that I pick up and try to do year after year. So everybody, everybody I think needs to branch out and at least try one new style of hunting, even if it's not for a different species. If you always whitetail hunt from a fixed stand with your rifle, maybe try and do it with a saddle setup. Maybe try and do it from the ground. Maybe try and do a different style because you're you're not going to know if you like it until you try it. Well, then why do you think? And this is a this is a let's kind of put you on the spot type of question. I'm just kind of curious what your perspective is. Why do you think so many people um, headlock themselves in so many situations? So I think I'm guilty of it too. Like I don't I I do like to branch out. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to sound narrow minded, but I mean to the to the nth degree is not something that i've done and it, it i've always attributed to it's like it's it's not like it's outside my comfort zone or at least that's what i have in my head like the example i'll give like my wife and i for our, our honeymoon we went to south africa and we did a, a photo safari which was a really cool experience seeing a lot of that wildlife over there on some of those giant preserves that was really cool if you've never been to south africa i mean that was a a crazy experience for me and i had it in my yeah. mind the whole time like i don't have any interest to hunt something over here like what, what do i want to go over here and shoot something for and then when i was there and i'm looking at wildlife and i'm kind of talking to trackers and the experiences and it's like no I, I think i would like to hunt something i just don't get yeah. myself psyched up about it so like why I'm asking you why, why, what's going on in my head that I'm doing that? That's a stupid question, but I mean, you kind of probably understand where I'm coming from. Well, I think there are a lot of people who like to be a specialist and they like to get really, really good at one type of hunt or one skill. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I would say where, where you might have an issue is if you're hunting, if you're hunting the same species the same way and you're not trying to grow, you're not trying to progress, you're not trying to um, challenge yourself with a larger animal, an older species, uh, a different way to manage the property. Like if you're stagnant in your hunting, maybe you're happy with it, but I've never, I've never been that guy. 
like I always want the to improve. I always want to, you know, beat beat my score from last year, whether it's the size, the amount of time, the amount of encounters, the amount of hours spent in the woods. Like I'm always trying to learn and progress. And so I feel like you're probably in the same boat. Like you were talking earlier about being in high school and how much different uh, mindset you have now from then. It's probably because you're growing. And uh, I, I see a lot of people as hunters, our growth comes from making it harder for ourselves. And the reason I say that is if you look at, if you look at rifle hunters, typically after several seasons of rifle hunting, someone's going to pick up a bow. And then after they bow hunt for a while, the next progression is to make it even harder on them. And then all of a sudden they get a recurve bow and they limit the distance. They have to, they have to get the animal in closer in order to make an effective shot. They might go from hunting over bait on private land to public land. They might go from hunting on public land in a tree stand to spot and stalk. They might go from shooting, you know, something from, yeah, a tree stand to the ground, trying to get closer, trying to get a bigger one. And so I feel like as long as you're growing and trying to progress, even if it's not a different species, just try to try to challenge yourself each year. Because, like, it, answer this. If you went out and every year, opening day, you shot a buck and a doe. And every year, it was the same 120-inch buck. Yes, it would be fun for that one day of hunting. But wouldn't you desire something a little bit more, a little different? You'd want to challenge yourself if it was just that easy. Well, and that's just it. Like some people, some people have the the mindset of that's that's good. That's what I'm going for. So I think it comes down to, and I've I've said I don't say this a lot. I probably never said it on this podcast. I've said it between friends and stuff like that. And this is controversial, and I don't mean it to to poke fun and, and sound judgmental. But I think that there are people. I think there's hunters, and I think there's people who go hunting. And yeah. I, th- I think the level of drive between those two are completely different and the level of satisfaction are completely different and um so, so like we're talking about all the stuff we're talking about like comparing western hunts and pushing yourself and driving so like i think there's probably to a certain point where i just go hunting and i'm not a hunter in that aspect i mean when it comes to whitetail hunting in the northeast and bear hunting like i'm i would say like i feel like i'm a hunter driving myself that but um i wouldn't consider myself because i want elk hunting i wouldn't consider myself an elk hunter i want elk hunting and i i'm trying to gauge that level of what's next um is is a mental blockade that i'm i'm trying to work on does that make sense yeah yeah for sure and i mean it's i think it's good to identify your desires early on and go, okay, is this something that I want to turn into an expert at? Is this something that I want to grow at? And I, I 100% agree that there's hunters and there's people that go hunting. I would venture to say, if you're listening to a podcast, sitting at home, if you're on a drive somewhere, if you're at work with headphones in listening to a hunting podcast, your goal is probably to be a hunter or you are a hunter. Um, there's plenty of people who are, you know, they go out for the one weekend or the one week a year with their, with their gun and are part of the orange army. And that's awesome. I was that for a very large chunk of my life. And 
there's nothing wrong with that, but there was a point at which I said, there's more to hunting than this. Mm -hmm. And so I started, instead of just going hunting one week a year, I started becoming a hunter and figuring out what it was that I liked about it, how I'm going to challenge myself, what new opportunities are out there, how I can hone my skills and be the best and most efficient that I can be. And so, yeah, figure out where you land in that. And if, if you do want to challenge yourself or if you're content with what you're doing and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of people who don't even hunt. And so if you're contributing to the sport that we love and uh, the conservation of the animals Hey, I don't care how much you do it. Mm-hmm. Be a part. I'm good with it. And, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna. We should probably wrap this up here because we got some other stuff going on. We've been, we've been rolling for a while. But I'm curious too. Um, as you've branched out and done a whole bunch of other things, like I know at your core, like you're, you're a deer hunter, and like you, you know, I wouldn't, you know, you said earlier, I wouldn't want to miss that Wisconsin hunt um, for anything. You know, that's that's in your blood. That's in your core. Um, how has a lot of the the western hunting and the just the expansion on what you hunt how you hunt time of year um how do you see that is there anything that stands out that has really fine-tuned what you love in deer hunting or or being a better deer hunter yeah i mean i think there's a lot of crossover um i think that becoming a student of western hunting has pushed me to be more of a student with deer hunting you know, I was very complacent in deer hunting for a long time. I, I grew up sitting on the same bucket or on the same dead tree in the woods multiple years in a row, didn't change anything, didn't really study deer behavior, didn't really get any new information about the animals whatsoever. And I just went out and said, oh, you know what? I saw them here this last year. They're probably going to come through again this year. When I actually had to learn about a new style of hunting, it made me second guess everything that I knew already about whitetail hunting and go, I've always just done it. I've always just done the same old thing year after year after year. I bet you there's a way to do this where I can be more effective. Maybe maybe it's on the land management side of things, which I did dive into. And I really became a student of whitetail. And that's probably the biggest thing that I took away from Western hunting. And it's not just a crossover into whitetail, it's waterfowl as well. You know, like putting the time into scouting, I would have never told you if, if you asked me years ago, like what's the number one tool that you can have in your arsenal for deer hunting, it would have probably been some type of equipment. It would have been like the broadhead or the bow or the tree stand. Now across the board after Western hunting, I say scouting. Scouting is the number one thing you can do to improve your success in any type of hunting or fishing is putting in that back work. And so, yeah, there's a lot, a lot that I've learned from Western hunting that now crosses over into everything else. You heard it. Every, you heard it all, folks. Scout more, hunt less, and you'll have seasons like Dan had this year every single year. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I don't know about that, but... Uh, but you're going to inform yourself. That's for sure. I, I wish everybody could have that kind of season. I wish I could have that season. I hope to have that same season one more year in my life, and I'd be a pretty happy man. Oh heck yeah, heck yeah! It, it's amazing. Like you do a podcast, and I was I was thinking, you know, I said before I wanted to talk to you about some some Western stuff, and it's amazing how when you're so passionate about something, how you can go down so many stinking avenues to the point where I'm like, what do I even title this episode? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah just call it the a 
hunter's buffet hunter's buffet i might i might take up on that um dan this is uh, this has been a pleasure it's always a pleasure to talk with you i love to i love to talk hunting strategy philosophy experiences with you um i think it's stuff that it's it's so relatable for anybody that listens to this so i really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your day to uh to chat with us Absolutely, man. Anytime. Let's do it again and let's get together and do a hunt sometime. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. And uh good luck on the uh good luck on killing some pigs. What what I have to ask, what uh what are you planning on killing some of these piggies with? Um, I just brought my AR. I I've pig hunted before, never on an island. Um, but these things are tough, man. And I want I want some backup rounds and I did debate bringing my bow, but we're loading a bunch of guys and all of our equipment onto one guy's boat and transporting it to the island. And so I said, man, if I could only have one weapon with me and I want to get the most out of this hunt, it's probably going to have to be my AR. And I think that everybody else is also bringing an AR. So what do you have uh, that chamber? If a pig comes through, uh, this one, I mean, it's five, five, six, two, three, either one. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, I feel like it's going to be close range. I honestly don't know a ton of what to expect. I've been picking their brain on the terrain and they're like, honest thing, honestly, it's everything from like dense, real thick cover, real thick understory to literally the beach, like big, uh, sand dune, 150 yards away from the ocean. Mm. So. We'll see, man. We will see. Sounds like another cool experience. So, uh, hey, safe travels the rest of your way, and thanks again. Absolutely, man.